Bestbookbits.com presents Yes to Life in Spite of Everything, Victor Frankl's Lost Lectures on Moving Beyond Optimism and Pessimism to Find the Deepest Source of Meaning. Everything depends on the individual human being, regardless of how small a number of like-minded people there is, each person, through action and not mere words, creatively making the meaning of life a reality in his or her own being. To decide whether life is worth living is to answer the fundamental question of philosophy. Everything else is child's play. We must first of all answer the question. Sometimes life asks this question not as a thought experiment, but as a gauntlet hurdled with the raw brutality of living. The self-same year, the young Viennist neurologist and psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl, March 26, 1905 to September 2, 1977, was taken to Auschwitz along with more than a million human beings robbed of their basic right to answer this question for themselves, instead deemed unworthy of living. Some survived by reading, some through humour, some by pure chance, most did not. Frankl lost his mother, his father, his brother, to the mass murder in the concentration camps. His own life was spared by the tightly braided lifeline of chance, choice and character. A mere 11 months after surviving the unsurvivable, Frankl took up the elemental question at the heart of of Camps's philosophical parable in the set of lectures, which he himself edited into a slim, potent book published in Germany in 1946, just as he was completing Man's Search for Meaning. As our collective memory always tend towards amnesia and eraser, especially of periods scarred by civilizational shame, these existential infusions of sanity and lucid buoyancy fell out of the print and were soon forgotten. Eventually rediscovered, as is also the tendency of our collective memory when the present fails us and we must lean for succor on the life-tested wisdom of the past. They are now published in English for the first time as Yes to Life in Spite of Everything. Frankl begins by considering the question of whether life is worth living through the central fact of human dignity. Noting how gravely the Holocaust disillusioned humanity with itself, he cautious against the defeatist end-of-the-world mindset with which many responded to this disillusionment, but cautions equally against the blithe optimism of previous, more naive eras that have not yet faced this gruesome civilizational mirror reflecting what human beings are capable of doing to one another. Both dispositions, he argues, stems from nihilism, in constance with his colleague and contemporary Enric Fromm's instance that we can only transcend the shared laziness of optimism and pessimism through rational faith in the human spirit. Frankl writes, We cannot move toward any spiritual reconstruction with a sense of fatalism, such as this. Generations and a myriad cultural upheavals before Zadie Smith observed that progress is never permanent, will always be threatened, must be redoubled, restated and reimagined if it is to survive. Frankl considers what progress even means, emphasizing the centrality of our individual choices in its constant revision. Today, every impulse for action is generated by the knowledge that there is no form of progress on which we can trustingly rely. If today we cannot sit idly by, it is precisely because each and every one of us determines what and how far something progresses. In this, we are aware that the inner progress is only actually possible for each individual, while mass progress at most consists of technical progress, which only impresses us because we live in a technical age. 
insisting that it takes a measure of moral strength not to succumb to nihilism, be it that of the pessimist or the optimist, he exclaims. Give me a sober activism any time, rather than the rose-tinted fatalism. How steadfast would a person's belief in the meaningless of life have to be, so as not to be shattered by such skepticism? How unconditionally do we have to believe in the meaning and value of human existence, if this belief is able to take up and bear this skepticism and pessimism? Through this nihilism, through the pessimism and skepticism, through the soberness of a new objectivity that is no longer that new but has grown old, we must strive toward a new humanity. Sophenskoll, upon whom chance did not smile as favorably as it did upon Frankel, affirmed this notion with her incense that living with integrity and belief in human goodness is the wellspring of courage as she courageously faced her own untimely death in the hands of the Nazis. But while the Holocaust indisputably disenchanted humanity, Frankel argues it also indisputably demonstrated that what is human is still valid, that it is all a question of individual human being. Looking back on the brutality of the camps, he reflects, what remained was the individual person, the human being, and nothing else. Everything had fallen away from him during those years. Money, power, fame. Nothing was certain for him anymore. Not life, not health, not happiness. All have been called into question for him. Vanity, ambition, relationships. Everything was reduced to bare existence. Burnt through with pain, everything that was not essential was melted down. The human being reduced to what he was in the last analysis, either a member of the masses, therefore no one real, so really no one. The anonymous one, a nameless thing, that he had now become, just a prisoner number, or else he melted right down to his essential self. In a sentiment that blows from the hallways of history into the great vaulted temple of timeless truth, he adds, Everything depends on the individual human being, regardless of how small a number of like-minded people there is, and everything depends on each person. Through action and not mere words, creatively making the meaning of life a reality in his or her own being. Frankel then turns to the question of finding a sense of meaning when the world gives us ample reasons to view life as meaningless. The question of continuing to live despite persistent world weariness. Writing in the post-war pre-dawn of the golden age of consumerism, which has built a global economy by continually robbing us of the sense of meaning and selling it back to us at a price of a product. Frankel first dismantled the notion that meaning is to be found in the pursuit and acquisition of various pleasures. Let us imagine a man who has been sentenced to death and a few hours before execution, he has been told he is free to decide on the menu for his last meal. The guard comes into his cell and asks him what he wants to eat, offers him all kind of delicacies, but the man rejects all his suggestions. He thinks to himself that it is quite irrelevant whether he stuffs good food into his stomach of his organism or not, as in a few hours it will be a corpse and even the feeling of pleasure that could still be felt in the organism's cerebral ganglia seem pointless in the view of the fact that in two hours, they will be destroyed forever. But the whole of life stands in the face of death, and if this man had been right, then our whole lives would also be meaningless. Were we only to survive for the pleasure and nothing else? Preferably, 
the most pleasure and the highest degree of pleasure possible. Pleasuring life itself cannot give our existence meaning. Thus, the lack of pleasure cannot take away meaning from life, which now seems obvious to us. He quotes a short verse by the great Indian poet and philosopher, Lapindanathagore, the first non-European to win the Nobel Prize, Einstein's one-time conversation partner in contemplating science and spirituality, and a man who thought deeply about human nature. I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I awoke and saw that life was duty. I worked and behold, duty was joy. In constance with Kamsa's view of happiness as a moral obligation, an outcome to be attained not through direct pursuit, but as a byproduct of living with authenticity and integrity. Frankel reflects on Tagore's poetic point. So, life is somehow duty, a single, huge obligation. And there is certainty joy in life too, but it cannot be pursued, cannot be willed into being as joy. Rather, it must arise spontaneously, and in fact, it does arise spontaneously, just as the outcome may arise. Happiness should can never be a goal, but only an outcome, the outcome of fulfillment of that which in Tagore's poem is called duty. All human striving for happiness, in this sense, is doomed to failure as luck can only fall into one's lap, but can never be hunted down. In a sentiment James Baldwin would echo two decades later in his superb forgotten essay on the antidote to the hour of despair and life as a moral obligation to the universe. Frankel turns the question onto itself. At this point, it would be helpful to perform a conceptual turn through 180 degrees, after which the question can no longer be, what can I expect from life, but can now only be, what does life expect of me? What tasking life is waiting for me? Now we also understand how, in the final analysis, the question of meaning of life is not asked in the right way. If asked in the way it generally asked, it is not we who are permitted to ask about the meaning of life. It is life that asks the questions, directs questions at us. We are the ones who must answer, must give answers to the constant, hourly question of life, to the essential life questions. Living itself means nothing other than being questioned. Our whole act of being is nothing more than responding to of being responsible toward life. With this mental standpoint, nothing can scare us anymore. No future, no apparent lack of future, because now the present is everything as it holds the eternal new question of life for us. Frankel adds a caveat of tremendous importance, triply so in our present culture of self-appointed gurus, self-help demagogues, and endless podcast feeds of interviews with accomplished individuals attempting to distill a universal recipe for self-actualization. The question life asked us, and in answering which will realize the meaning of the present moment, does not only change from hour to hour, but also changes from person to person. The question is entirely different in each moment for every individual. We can therefore see how the question as to the meaning of life is posed too simply, unless it is posed with complete specificity in the correctness of the here and now. To ask about the meaning of life in this way seems just as naive to us as the question of a reporter interviewing a world chess champion and asking, and now, master, please tell me, which chess move do you think is the best? Is there a move 
a particular move that could be good or even the best beyond a very specific concrete game situation, a specific configuration of the pieces. What emerges from Frankel's inversion of the question is the sense that, just as learning to die is learning to meet the universe on its own terms, learning to live is learning to meet the universe on its own terms. Terms that change daily, hourly, by the moment. One way or another, there can only be one alternative at a time to give meaning to life meaning to the moment, so at any time, we only need to make one decision about how we must answer. But each time, a very specific question is being asked of us by life. From all this followed that life always follows us a possibility for the fulfillment of meaning. Therefore, there is always the option that it has a meaning. One can also say that our human existence can be made meaningful to the very last breath, as long as we have breath as long as we are still conscious. We are each responsible for answering life's questions. With this symphonic prelude, Frankl arrives at the essence of what he discovered about the meaning of life in his confrontation with death, a certain fact of being at which a great many of humanity's deepest seers have arrived via one path or another. From Rilke, who has so passionately insisted that death is our friend precisely because it brings us into absolute, and passionate presence with all that is here, that is natural, that is love. To physicist Brian Greene, who so poetically nested our search for meaning into our morality, into the most elemental fact of the universe. Frankel writes, The fact, and the only fact, that we are mortal, that our lives are finite, that our time is restricted, and our possibilities are limited, this fact is what makes it meaningful to do something, to exploit a possibility and to make it become a reality, to fulfill it, to use our time and occupy it. Death gives us a compulsion to do so. Therefore, death forms the background against which our act of being becomes a responsibility. Death is a meaningful part of life, just like human suffering. Both do not rob the existence of human beings of meaning, but make it meaningful in the first place. Thus, it is precisely the uniqueness of our existence in the world. The inevitability of our lifetime, the inevitability of everything with which we fill it, or leave unfulfilled. That gives our existence significance. But it is not only the uniqueness of an individual's life as a whole that gives its importance. It is also the uniqueness of every day, every hour, every moment, that represents something that loads our existence with the weight of a terrible and yet so beautiful responsibility. Any hour whose demands we do not fulfill, or fulfill half-heartedly, this hour is forfeited, forfeited for all of eternity. Conversely, what we achieve by seizing the moment is, once and for all, rescued into reality, into reality in which it is only apparently cancelled out by becoming the past. In truth, it is actually being preserved, in a sense of being kept safe. Having been, is in this sense, perhaps even the safest form of being. The being, the reality that we have rescued into the past in this way, can no longer be harmed by transitoriness. In the remainder of the slender and splendid yes to life, Frankel goes on to explore how the imperfections of human nature add to, rather than subtract from, the meaningfulness of our lives and what it means for us to be responsible for our own existence. Contemplated with Manly Shelley writing two centuries ago about a pandemic savage world on what makes life worth living. 
or Walt Whitman contemplating this question after surviving a paralytic stroke and a vitalizing cosmic antidote to the fear of death from astrophysicist and poet Rebecca Elson, then revisit Frankel on humor as a lifeline to sanity and survival. And that's a wrap on the book summary of Yes to Life by Viktor Frankl. If you like this summary and want to listen to over 500 more audio summaries, follow us on Spotify, Google Podcast, or Apple Podcast. If you're into the video book summary, check us out on YouTube at Best Book Bits. Subscribe to the channel, hit the bell to keep updated with the latest book summaries, and you can browse over 500 video book summaries uploaded previously. If you're into the written book summary, check us out at bestbookbits.com, the world's largest free book summary website in video, written, and audio format, where you can check out over 500 book summaries to read at your pleasure. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and if you want to be updated with the latest book summaries, pop your email in the link below. Thanks for watching and listening. Go out there, have an amazing day, and say yes to life. Take care. Bye-bye now.